Hello and welcome to the Corona Chronicles, a podcast documenting the experience of living through the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. I'm Max Lee. Today is Friday, March 27th, and thank you for listening. Today I'll be talking to Anna Green, but first a quick update from the news. President Trump signed a $2 trillion coronavirus relief stimulus bill, the merits of which we'll be talking about later in this episode. President Trump also utilized the Defense Production Act to compel General Motors to begin ventilator production after negotiations were taking too long for the president's liking. The number of confirmed cases in the United States passed the 100,000 mark as cities begin to face shortages in masks, protective equipment, and ventilators. In the United Kingdom, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has tested positive for coronavirus and will be self-isolating for the immediate future. So that's it for the news for this week. Let's kick it over to Anna Green. Anna, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing quite all right. Happy Friday. Yeah, uh, I kind of lost track of the days. Yeah, two days really uh, matter anymore. Which is in some ways good, but then you don't have the same satisfying Friday feeling. Like it was the same thing with Sunday where I was like, no Sunday scaries. Um, but now that I'm going back to school on Monday, those might come back. Yeah, unfortunately, it's mostly been every day is like a Monday, not every day is like a Friday, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into it. So what was your semester like before coronavirus? Oh, man, my semester, uh, it was going pretty well. I mean, I wasn't on campus uh, during the fall, so I had really, I was really excited to be back. I hadn't seen a lot of people for a really long time. Um, and I definitely returned to campus with this increased appreciation for everything. Uh, I kind of felt like a prospective student again, where I was like, everything here is so great. Uh, and all my friends were like, shut up, Anna. Like, it's, we're in college. <laughs> but it was going really well. I think, yeah, everyone was just really happy to be back because a lot of my friends um, had been gone too. And I also just think, you know, every year at college, I feel like you get a little bit more settled, you start to figure stuff out, everyone came back, um, and we were just so happy to be there and to be, you know, just back in that environment, and so we didn't really see any of this coming. I'm kind of bummed, you know, I'm obviously, it was the right call for them to cut our semester short, and, you know, there's a pandemic raging across the globe. Um, but I'm also disappointed that my semester got cut short because it was a yeah. good one. It was busy, but it was a good one. Yeah. And I think that's a very fair feeling. You know, of course it's the right decision, but it doesn't mean you have to be thrilled with it. Um, yeah. so getting into that decision, when did you begin to take all of this seriously? I think over the past, I mean, I don't know when the alert started rolling in, but I was starting to get a little bit spooked by, it felt really ominous, all these New York Times alerts that would come in. I get alerts on my phone from I think the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times because those are the ones I get for free through my school and I'm too cheap to pay for journalism, which is, you know, maybe something that'll change during this crisis. Maybe I'll realize um, that I should just start paying for newsletters or journals that I like beyond, you know, the New York Times and I don't even, I'm not prepared to say on the podcast that I like the Wall Street Journal, but I begrudgingly read the alerts. Um, so I feel like over the past couple months, you know, or at least like in mid-February, I started to notice every day it was like one case in Seattle, the first person um, who, the first reported case in New York, the first death. Every day it felt like it was one 
alert and I was talking to one of my professors and I was like, it seems a little strange that every single instance warrants I was like, can't like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal issue a little bit more prudence? Does every single one of these things issue or, or warrant like an alert? Because it was so unsettling um, to get these alerts. And at that point, I think I still didn't really understand the magnitude of the crisis. I was like, I'm getting all these alerts and they're making me unsettled, but it's one person in one state. Why do I need to get this alert on my phone while I'm sitting in my dorm room in California? Um, and then I think when Harvard announced that they were basically like kicking everyone off campus really abruptly, they gave them like three days notice to move out. Um, everyone was kind of like, oh man, like this is real. This is a crisis. And I think all my friends and I kind of figured, you know, maybe we would go online. Our teachers, we knew our professors were starting to test out Zoom. Um, but everyone was kind of like, I'd rather quarantine at school than at home we'll just take online classes we'll be in our dorms like we'll get through this together and we didn't at that point I think really understand um the magnitude of the pandemic until we knew that they were going to make a decision about our semester um so our our president um sent out an email that was like a decision is coming and that was like the most ominous thing um and the other Thing that's really weird about my situation is that um, because I go to Claremont McKenna, because I'm in a school that's in a consortium that's extremely tight knit, we knew that the decision wasn't just going to be like a CMC decision. We knew it was going to be all the five colleges um, that are within, you know, our academic framework. So we're taking classes um, at other schools within the Claremont consortium. So um, because of that, you know, tight knit relationship between the schools, we knew that all five colleges would make a decision together uh, and that the presidents were all talking about it. So um, we got this email on a Tuesday that was like, tomorrow more information will be coming. And everyone kind of started getting a little bit panicked. That was kind of when we were like, this is real, this is happening. Um, the next day was a Wednesday and everyone was kind of just like waiting for this email to drop. Um, and I remember I was sitting in a computer lab um, and normally it's pretty quiet in there. Everyone's doing their work and like no one was looking at their screens. Everyone was just kind of looking at each other and saying, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? When's this email coming out? Um, and so the first college president to email was from Scripps College um, and they announced that they were um, having students leave campus for I think like a month was what they said um, and that they were going to reassess after that point and then shortly afterwards we got an email from our president letting us know uh, that they were closing the dorms and that we were moving online for the rest of the semester and that was something that for some reason just like hadn't crossed my mind, hadn't crossed my friends' minds that they would actually do that. And in hindsight, um, you know, that was the right decision and it wasn't something that was like crazy. Um, but the email came out right at lunchtime, everyone was in the dining halls and people just like started picking up their phones. Um, and there was just, from that point on, it was hysteria, like mass hysteria on campus. I like, I've never seen anything like that where like the funniest thing was that we have um, like these like these like flex dollars that we can use at like on campus 
restaurants. Um, and so there was like a line like down the entire, like down the entire hallway of this, of our campus um, student center. Cause everyone was there trying to cash out all of their flex money. And they just like completely raided the hub, which is like our, our store um, because people were like this semester yeah people were like this semester is over um and like people immediately just started like going out and like drinking in the middle of the field like everyone was just dissociating about the state of like people were crying in one of my classes someone just sat there the entire class just like tears dribbling down her face um and it was just like the most the strangest day I've ever seen on campus. Like everyone was on their own level of grieving, but most people were just trying to pretend like for that one day that it wasn't happening. So how long did you have to move out once they closed the dorms? We had, I think like a week and a half. So they told us on a Wednesday, everything that was happening. And then we had until the next Monday to move out. So they gave us like a full, um, 10 days and you know going to a small school I think is is part of it but my my school's dean of students office and the president had like a really amazing response to the crisis and I think they worked uh really really hard to try to accommodate student input and student considerations into their plan for how we were gonna adjust to this like impending crisis um and so I'm friends with our student body president and he was in meetings with the president and he was taking questions and input from students and bringing them to the meeting and they really tried to kind of like triage um, how they dealt with the situation and like loop in a lot of students and a lot of different considerations which I think is especially difficult given the fact that they were dealing with other colleges and other college administrations um, but they were pretty accommodating and that plan had to kind of shift and they were pretty transparent about not really knowing what the rest of the time would look like so I left um like five days after they gave us the announcement I left on a Sunday um but some of my friends had spring break trips that they decided to go on because you know they were fully paid and even though that maybe wasn't the best decision um they went on those trips and then they ended up hearing from the school later on as they kind of shifted their emergency plan and it was like midweek in well it was like last week it was midweek um and the college was like maybe don't come back like we'll help pack up your stuff we'll ship things if we have to um but it's not a good idea for you to return to campus so they were pretty um pretty transparent and pretty communicative about their response to everything and were there any opportunities for people to stay on campus? Because at, at USC, people were able to apply to stay. Was that a thing at Claremont? Yeah, that was um, definitely an option to petition to stay. Um, I think at the beginning of the crisis, a lot of people were like, oh, we're just going to stay as long as we can, or we're going to petition to stay uh, because like this is our college experience and we want to be here. Um, and that kind of demand definitely tapered really, really quickly. Um, but there are students, I think, that are still staying on camp in kind of a modified living arrangement. Um, I know that's been a problem at certain schools, getting petitions approved, um, like at Pomona, 
the college next to ours, um, they had a huge problem where they were just denying a lot of student petitions um, and students had to like protest and they made like a GoFundMe um, for all these, all these different um, students with all kinds of different situations where they couldn't go back to wherever they were from. I think um, especially for a lot of international students, it was really a tough decision. Um, especially because everything has unfolded so quickly and some people wanted to stay here for internships that maybe now it looks like we might not be able to do um, or might not be happening. Um, so it, it was a pretty tough decision, I think, for a lot of people, but luckily there were, you know, a lot of opportunities for students. And what were those five days like when, between getting the memo and when you actually left? Was it a party scene or was it social distancing? Oh man, um, I wouldn't say it was social distancing. We weren't the most responsible. There were a lot of, it was just sad. Um, every, like, yeah, it was just different stages of sadness. There was um, some partying, I think. Yeah, it was just like the saddest scene ever. Like, it, it wasn't like true partying. It was just like people who were like so depressed they were trying to find any way to distract themselves. Um, and so we usually have this like end of year party the night before graduation. Um, and these poor seniors were like, we're gonna throw the party. And the school was like, no, you're not. We're trying to keep people out of large groups and we're canceling the semester to keep you out of large groups. You can't just throw a giant party. Um, so like the poor administration of this college was like doing their best um, to save us from ourselves. But um, yeah, it was just a crazy, crazy couple of days. And there was a lot of, a lot of emotions, a lot of hugging, which in hindsight probably shouldn't have happened, but it was this like suspension of reality where we were like, this situation feels so unreal that there's no, like there was no set of norms that people were operating under. Everyone was kind of just doing whatever whatever they felt like. Um, I feel like I was offered drugs, like so many drugs by so many people, uh, which was like the strangest thing, like not that I had any interest in them, but it was like the strangest thing, like people who had nothing to lose do really weird things. Um, like the end of the world hickeys were like the weirdest, grossest, most obscene things I've ever seen. Um, so it was just a strange time. <laughs> And since you've gotten back, I assume your life has been a little bit less exciting. Uh, hopefully no end of the world hickeys, but uh, what, have your, <laughs> what have your days in quarantine in Fairfield been like? Oh man, I mean, I think I expected the days to feel longer. Like coming back, um, I think I've been sleeping a lot. Like there's definitely a grieving process where coming home and going through the airport especially was such a strange um, experience. Like I've never seen so many anxious travelers and it was, a, it was a weird conundrum where someone from our Dean of Students office gave me a face mask, which I fully knew doesn't protect you from like breathing in any germs. Like it wasn't one of the N95 masks or whatever they're called. Um, but I was like, do I wear the face mask even though I know it isn't 
protecting me from anything. Everyone was wearing gloves. Um, some people were wearing goggles. Um, and everyone was just being hyper, hyper cautious in the airport. And it was, I thought it was going to be a lot emptier. Like um, when I came into JFK, JFK was the emptiest I'd seen it. But when I was flying out of Ontario airport, it was packed with all of these anxious travelers and just a very, yeah, just a very anxious energy. Um, but I think then coming home, it, it's just a strange, a strange experience. It wasn't something that I expected. Um, but I've been trying to make the most of it. I've been sleeping a lot. I feel like when I'm at school, I never want to waste time sleeping. Like I don't nap for fun, but at home I'm like, eh, I might as well get a full eight hours. Um, and so I've been sleeping a lot and kind of just hanging out. I feel like there's been so much debate about like using your time productively. Like a lot of people have said, you know, pick up a new skill, make the most of your time in quarantine. Um, and then there've been a lot of, <laughs> there've been, yeah, there've been a lot of people who've also said, um, you know, sit tight because there's a pandemic coming through and you never know when, if God forbid, um, it could reach us. And also it's just a very nerve wracking time. Um, and so everyone's kind of coping in their own ways. I'm trying to find some happy medium. I've been writing a lot of cards to people, trying to kind of reach out in any way possible. I think the weirdest thing about this whole pandemic has been that it's such a major event that people have compared. Um, to things like, you know, the Great Depression or even 9-11 um, in the way that it's just sent this giant shockwave through our country. Um, but at the same time, then there's this element of social distancing and trying to protect everyone from each other, or from the potential that we give this terrible virus to someone that we love. And so there's this weird dichotomy between going through this crazy crisis and also not really being able to be with other people um so i've been trying to you know bridge the divide any way i can um and just i don't know spread a little positivity i think it's really hard to feel yeah like kind of like i was saying like it's hard to feel like you can like make the most of the situation or um i don't know just be positive when there is this really scary um, virus going around and like coming through even our communities. So I've been just trying to take it one day at a time and do what I can if I can and cooking a lot. Pasta really helps. <laughs> oh, have you finally mastered the homemade pasta that <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I, I stick to the box kind. Uh, it's really good. I'm really good at making it. <laughs> Um, so let's shift our focus a little bit to politics because, you know, I can, I consider you one of my more politically inclined friends. You've spent some time on the oh, Hill man. yourself. Um, so let's start with how you think some of the different leaders have handled the situation and what you make of the job that they've done. So let's start with uh, President Trump. What do you, what do you make of how he's handled all of this? Oh my God, don't get me started. So first of all, just a disclaimer for all the listeners of Max's podcast out here. I don't even have my government degree yet. I'm working towards it. I'm a rookie. <laughs> but I do refresh my Twitter feed like a mad woman, especially during this time. Um, I 
cannot even put into words how frustrating it is to see this crisis going on and to see President Trump doing like the worst, like the fact that our president will not even speak truthfully about the situation and about issues like respirators and the fact that people on his team are spreading like falsehoods that are going to result in people that are resulting in people dying is terrifying and frustrating and so heartbreaking um one of my favorite pundits pointed out on twitter the fact that during the news briefings president trump and his team aren't even practicing social distancing which will make you absolutely crazy when you think about it um and it's kind of unsurprising that he's putting his team at risk um throughout this crisis but i think it's just been really really frustrating to see yeah someone just so utterly failing like his constituents um during such a major crisis and the fact that now you know the u.s has the most covid cases of any country in the world and the fact that we were one of the later countries to pick it up um is so so frustrating that when we have such a large country with so much at stake that our president is just blatantly fumbling it and then telling lies to make his image look better to make it seem as if he isn't really fumbling this crisis um so that's yeah it's just mind-boggling i can't i've been trying to to take a couple steps back for myself um as someone who's trying to just exist during this crisis i can't watch the news briefings like my mom has been like has the news on like 24 hours a day but i can't listen to this man talk anymore yeah, I'm I'm in a similar boat where I was watching the news briefings to start, but now, you know, I'll get the important information, but nothing he's saying in that briefing is important. Um, uh, but one of the one of the leaders that have emerged and want, somebody that a lot of people look to for guidance is Governor Cuomo of New York. What do you make of the job that he's done? Yeah, I mean, I think he has been someone who's been a very vocal advocate for a lot of really important uh, things that we need at this at this point in part because he's the governor of one of the most populous states in part because his state has so many cases um he's on the news almost constantly my mom who's always watching um uh, is like governor cuomo is a hero he's doing such a great job um and i think it's really hard for all of these governors to be navigating this situation um with such a lack of support from the federal government, but also when dealing with Trump, where Governor Cuomo is like demanding certain things of Trump uh, and Trump will publicly kind of bash him, but then will give him the provisions that he's asking for anyway. Um, so there's this element of dealing with a super unstable actor um, or kind of dealing with political spin. Um, but I think Governor Cuomo is doing his best with, um, the situation especially because a situation like this really does require more support from the federal government than we've been getting and you know we'll see what it looks like with this stimulus bill and with all of the money that they've put forward for uh, state governments but it's a really tough situation and 
you know, all of these public servants are really working, I'm sure, so many hours a day. And I've really, you know, just the fact that we're seeing them for so many hours on the news and doing so many things, um, you know, it really, I think we really need to be, you know, remembering these things in November, but also just when we think about politicians, you know, everyone has a lot of opinions on them. Sometimes we hate them. Sometimes we like the politicians that we like. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, Governor Cuomo is one of these public servants who've just been working um, around the clock to try to try to resolve this crisis or make it better for his constituents. And then next leader that I wanted to talk a little bit about was uh, Governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Um, and mm -hmm. we might, we haven't heard as much from him, but I figured going to school in California, you might have a little bit of insight on the job that he's done. Yeah, I mean, Governor Cuomo, I mean, <laughs> Governor Newsom um, was one of the first states to issue a stay-at-home order and to issue a stay-at-home shelter-in-place order for, you know, the biggest or the most populous state um, was a really, really important decision and something that people were really surprised by that plenty of states still haven't issued stay-at-home orders, um, but that Governor Newsom did. Uh, and I think that was a really, a really important, and you know, California is always kind of, you know, on their own, on their own pace and doing things that are, um, you know, really good on maybe a more timely schedule. Um, and so that was something that was really, I think, really important. Uh, but you know, looking at, for example, these shelter in place orders and looking at what the United States is doing versus our European counterparts, um, I think is really a testament to the fact that we're not doing enough where a lot of European countries have issued more severe uh, lockdown orders or just more severe guidelines for things like shelter in place, uh, where shelter in place um, is obviously really important and has allowed a lot of people to work from home um, and all these non-essential workers to work from home, but there are also a lot of essential workers who are still putting their lives at risk while people who are, you know, quote unquote, shelter in place are still, you know, going out to the store or maybe not taking the situation as seriously as they should. Um, and so one of the things that I've been kind of concerned about is, you know, not issuing severe enough warnings to, to people, especially as we see this pandemic progressing and becoming worse and worse. The fact that there are still people who aren't taking it as seriously as they should. And then finally, our own governor, uh, Governor Ned Lamont of Connecticut. Um, what do you think of the job that he's done? You know, I haven't been following Connecticut politics that much, but I also do think, um, you know, Governor Lamont is another one who issued stay-at-home orders last Monday for us, or Monday for us, um, and that was a really important thing. I think it's, we've seen a lot of things going on with the schools. I don't, none of my siblings, or my sister is not still in the Fairfield Public Schools, so you might honestly know more about this than I do, um, but I think that Governor Lamont has been working really hard on helping, you know, school systems within Connecticut to transition to online learning. Um, we have a public-private partnership going on to help increase students' access to books and to other learning materials. Um, you know, moving to online school is something that 
I think for us as college students is a little bit easier because we're already used to spending fewer, less time in class and doing a lot more independent work. Um, but I think for K through 12 education, this is going to be something that's really difficult and that people are still figuring out and will continue to figure out probably for the rest of the school year. Um, so that's an area that I think has been really important that Connecticut has been, you know, doing their best um, to, to make as easy as possible for families. And then let's get into this stimulus bill a little bit. What are some of your general oh, thoughts man. about the bill as a whole? Um, so the stimulus bill, man, this has been, you know, a long time coming. Um, and there are so many interests. There are still so many interests that are in play here. Um, obviously, one of the things that I think people were most interested in was this new um, UBI type um, type program where families can get uh, a monthly stipend, um, which is a really important initiative. I think the craziest thing about this crisis is that unlike other economic crises where we've seen like the stock market fall in this crisis, one of the driving factors is that people are just unable to leave their houses. So a lot of people who um, are doing wage labor aren't really able to work in the same way or are risking their lives to continue um, with their jobs. And so this is a really landmark decision. This is the largest stimulus bill that we've ever passed in the United States. Um, so a lot of this is really going to depend on you know, it's really important that we pass the bill, but a lot of this and how it plays out is really just going to depend on how the money is managed going forward. Um, so, for example, uh, a lot of people, myself included, have been pretty critical of the corporate bailouts uh, because President Trump uh, has been pretty ambiguous in how we're going to enforce the fact that uh, going to enforce um, the payments that are going to large corporations. A lot of the Democrats in the Senate uh, were really advocating for more stringent protections and more clear, um, clear uh, like regulation on how the money gets spent. Um, so that's going to be something that'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. Especially, you know, a lot of people are wondering now that there are these payments that are going out to people who are making less than a hundred thousand dollars a year they're wondering how the money's even going to get distributed like all of these questions are very real and every day you know we're getting more information but we're really just going to have to see how this plays out to even begin to evaluate this plan yeah i mean i think i saw from mnuchin that, the, that one of the plans is there might be a way to online like direct route a basically give a direct deposit to the government for your uh for your bank account otherwise they're just going to send a check to the most recent tax filing address that they have but i mean that's a whole other issue that people can't like trying to manage the largest economic stimulus package during a pandemic is going to be messy and when it's a stimulus package that's being managed by the trump administration and trump agencies is something that is going to be really interesting to see play out. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about elections. Um, I know one of the issues in the stimulus relief bill that was that was holding it up was a vote by mail provision. 
Um, do you know mm -hmm. if that was something that actually ended up being included and how do you see this affecting the, both the primary and general elections? Ooh, I'm not sure about the specifics of um, vote by mail. I have been trying to keep track of it. It's been a crazy couple days, so I haven't kept track of everything. Of things, One yeah. of the things that is really important or that is disappointing about um, the stimulus bill is that it didn't include as much funding as we really needed for vote by mail. Um, so I think I haven't pulled up. Um, I was looking at the numbers before. Um, so I think they asked for like $2 billion, some really exorbitant amount of money to ensure that vote by mail would be possible just because of the sheer cost. Um, I don't know where it is, but because of the sheer cost um, of a, a provision like this. And one of the strange things about election law is that so much of it is left up to states, especially with primaries where each state's uh, political parties decide when the primaries will be. So a lot of it uh, offers, you know, a lot of room for state interpretation, which is part of the problem in terms of voter disenfranchisement um, and just general access to information. It's really hard for a lot of organizations, voter advocacy organizations, to put out information when each state has its own set of election laws and challenges and dates. Um, so the impact of this pandemic just more broadly on elections is going to be really crazy especially because if the pandemic comes back in the fall as some experts have predicted i don't know what election day will look like uh, another crazy thing is just that there's a primary going on right now during this whole process and you know joe biden and bernie sanders are both two men over 70 so they're kind of hiding i mean sanders has been um you know, really fighting for some really important provisions in the stimulus bill. But Joe Biden is just like hiding as he probably should be if he wants to make it. Um, that was kind of dark. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's crazy. And I think just given, you know, what life looks like in within, you know, the time of COVID-19. It's going to be really interesting to see what campaigning even looks like going forward, um, especially because a lot of the organizing methods that have been uh, the nuts and bolts of campaigning, like door-to-door -door canvassing, uh, are probably not going to be possible both for the safety of canvassers and for the people who they're trying to talk to. I don't think people, even if you know we're done with social distancing by the summer, which doesn't necessarily seem likely. I don't know if people would even want to answer doors um, to strangers as we navigate what life will look like after this crisis. Um, so it's gonna be really interesting to see what campaigning even looks like. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is just the ways that more broadly, this crisis is gonna force us to digitize things. Um, so I think a lot of campaigning is just gonna be almost entirely virtual this election cycle and we'll see how that shifts campaign tactics um and you know voter turnout if you know it seems like there's a general trend anyway of moving things more digital as a better way of accessing people um so some of this was kind of on track um but it's going to be a crazy campaign season and it's going to be really interesting to see how candidates adapt to the current circumstances, how people get involved with campaigns as we're all 
social distancing and maybe self-isolating in our homes. Um, there's a lot of things that are just going to have to work out. And especially, you know, we're still a couple, we're still like six months out from the election. Um, and we're only two weeks, maybe three weeks into social distancing. So there's a lot of dust that has to settle. Um, but things are going to be very different this cycle for sure. And who, assuming that Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee, who would a more virtual campaign benefit, Biden or Trump? That's a good question. I think it's really hard to say. I think Trump has really dominated. Trump is a really dominant online presence, just to begin with. Um, so by virtue of the fact that he tweets his presidency is on Twitter. Um, the fact that, you know, last campaign cycle, we had so much trouble with fake news and with election interference on social media channels. Um, you know, it's possible that this, whatever happens this election cycle, it could prompt a lot more just general reforms to how we exercise free speech online and how we exercise political speech online. Um, I think Trump probably does have a pretty significant advantage um, just because he's kind of known as the Twitter president. Um, but, you know, digitizing the campaign isn't the only thing that will decide this election cycle, especially because Trump is so visible during this crisis and because, you know, we are going through an economic crisis and a health crisis at the same time. Um, and so typically economic strength has been a pretty large predictor of incumbent reelection rates. Um, so if the incumbent president has a strong economy, typically voters will favor that candidate. Um, but you know, if the economy doesn't recover before November, I think it's possible that a lot of voters will begin to see that maybe Trump isn't what he claims to be, uh, or also really depending on how people interpret his handling of the crisis. I think a lot of his supporters are really taking everything he says, um, just taking it right in. But I think for a lot of the undecided, maybe independent voters, it'll really depend on how they interpret his handling of the crisis. And then final question. Usually I ask people what they think the world looks like on July 1st of this year, but I'm going to switch it up with you a little bit. What do you yeah. think the world looks like on Wednesday, November 4th, the day after the election this year? Oh my God. I don't want to predict. <laughs> I don't want to predict what it'll look like because I cried so much in 2016. Um, I, oh my God, election predicting is a horrifying and heartbreaking like You can predict that there is no election. You can predict that they don't set a vote by I, mail and we're still in quarantine. Oh man, it's my creative universe. Um, I think that in November of 2020, that on November 4th, 2020, um, that I don't even know. I think things are going to look really, really different just for starters. I think we're going to have hopefully navigated this election somehow. I, you know, I'm not an expert, but I'm scared for what an election could look like, what voter, voter turnout could look like. Um, all of these variables seem so up in the air. I'm scared that it'll look like a lot of brokenhearted Democrats. Um, but I also think that we have so many months left still before the election. And we have so many people who 
college students especially who are trying to figure out how they're going to spend the next couple months um, and so i'm optimistic that we're going to figure out what organizing looks like and we're going to channel all of our frustration and anger into something positive i'm going to say hopefully that the world looks a little better on november 4th 2020 than it does today because things are looking pretty bleak that was a good not that was a very political non-answer and a great crowd <laughs> <laughs> I have to stay true to my major. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really fun. Thanks for having me and letting me ramble for so oh, my, long. My pleasure. And thank you to everybody that listened to this. Uh, this has been the Corona Chronicles, and we'll be back again on Monday with another episode.